I love a good podcast, as you know, and I'm always happy to share resources for parents who are looking for creative, smart content that both entertains and offers enrichment for curious kids everywhere. So I'm happy to let you know about this awesome new show from the creators of the hit kids podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild, The Adventurous World of Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as Math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time, packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs. The series explores themes that kids like ours love, like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code breaking, pattern solving, and more. And episodes transport kids into iconic periods in history like Pythagoras's Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England. So cool. New episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, a perfect length for those car rides, for meal times, for break times, and bedtimes. What I love about this show is that it's kind of like listening to a book on tape. The story is captivating and includes lots of problems listeners can try to solve. The voice actors are fantastic, and the math concepts are seamlessly weaved into the narrative. It's exactly the kind of show Ash would have loved a few years ago, especially during our homeschool years, because finding that perfect blend of entertaining and educating, it isn't always easy. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. The resistance is not about you, ever. It's about what makes the child feel good. So when the child says, I don't want to write, they're not thinking to themselves, how can I show my parent I'm defying their authority? They're thinking, how can I avoid doing a painful thing? So if we reframe resistance as a child trying to protect that small, fragile self that is starting to emerge, we can actually lend it more support. Oh, writing is painful. You know what? I'm on your team. What can we do to make this experience less painful for you? I'm happy to try anything. Welcome to Tilt Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber, and welcome to the summer season. I hope the podcast break wasn't too long, but I promise it was worth it for the incredible conversations I've had over the past months and am queuing up to share with you this season. Today's episode features an eye-opening conversation with author and educator Julie Bogart on how to help kids who have resistance around writing, which I have a hunch is something many of you out there listening are familiar with. Julie is the mastermind behind the Brave Writer Program, the Brave Writer Podcast, and really thoughtful content on all things kids, writing, learning with confidence, and critical thinking. She is the perfect person to explore this topic with. What I thought might be an interview that focused on the nuts and bolts of writing ended up being a very moving and inspiring lesson about self-expression and trust. Julie and I talked about how separating the mechanical and self-expression parts of writing can help kids experience less resistance, how to break through barriers students might have when it comes to expressing themselves, and what Julie identifies as performance anxiety at the heart of a child's struggles to get started putting those words down on the page. Julie also shared some fantastic advice on how to change the script around writing resistance and where to get started for parents who are experiencing this at home. 
Before we dive in, let me tell you a little bit more about Julie. Julie Bogart is known for her common sense parenting and education advice. She's the author of the beloved book, The Brave Learner, which has brought so much joy and freedom to home educators. And her new book, Raising Critical Thinkers, offers parents a lifeline in navigating the complex digital world our kids are confronting. Her award-winning innovative online writing program, Brave Writer, has been around for more than 20 years, and it has reached students in nearly 200 countries. If you have a struggling writer, I hope this episode gives you comfort and confidence to meet your child where they're at and make meaningful progress in a way that feels good for the whole family. Before I get to that, if what I'm doing at Tilt Parenting and the guests I bring onto the show are providing support and encouragement and hope for your family, and you're ready to dive deeper with me and up-level your parenting progress, I invite you to check out my membership community, The Differently Wired Club. Think virtual office hours, coaching calls, expert guests, monthly themes, connection with other parents like you, and much more. I used to only open the doors three times a year, but now there is an enrollment window open at the end of every month. Curious to know more? Visit tiltparenting.com slash club for all the details and to get pre-registered. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. And now here is my conversation with Julie. Hey, Julie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, my first interview of the summer 2023 season. And I know we can't cover all the things that you do. You are a multi-passionate person. And there's so many things we could have talked about today. But just spend a few minutes in your own words, introducing what you do in the world and your personal why for doing that. Oh, wow. That's beautiful. I am a mother of five adult kids, a grandmother to three. I gave the lion's share of my early adulthood to raising those kids, five kids at home. I homeschooled them. Several of them did do public high school, but really all five had unique experiences of education between K and 12. Four of them went to college. The one who went and quit three times is a self-taught computer programmer. I have kids living all over the world, including Hong Kong and Mexico. I love global travel. I love other cultures. I love the feeling of being connected to a wide variety of ideas. I've studied theology. I've studied history. I am a freelance writer who teaches writing to families. And and I've written a couple of books that are traditionally published in addition to a ton of curricula. Yes, you are just such a busy person. I find it so inspiring. There's so many things I I did want to dive into. And even before we hit record, I've already invited you to come back. So we'll make that happen. But I think your name came up to me first years ago through your Brave Writer company and your business. And I was hoping you could just talk with us just a bit about what Brave Writer is. Yeah, when you asked about my why, I think... I was raised in a way that valued self-expression. My mother is a published author of over 72 books. She was a theater major in college, and I grew up acting and writing. (laughs) Those were my two passions. And so I think from a very early age, I had been taught that my internal world mattered and that expressing it was important. And so I did from a very early age. My grandmother gave me a diary, a lock and key diary in fourth grade. And I felt like that was the place, the safe place to put my thoughts. 
And so as I've raised children and as I've worked with many thousands of parents, what I've discovered is that they don't have that same perspective around self-expression. They've been taught to be guarded or to not value their own thinking or to put the performance of writing ahead of the self-expression of writing. And so what led me to starting Brave Writer was encountering over and over parents who were frustrated by their children's resistance to writing or their failure in the grammar and punctuation and spelling side of writing. And I wanted to free them to actually enjoy their children and capture what I would call the snapshots of the mind. We're so busy taking pictures of their bodies, but writing is like taking pictures of the mind life of your child at the various stages of development. And I wanted that to be a pleasure and something that parents felt honored and privileged to do rather than it being this nightly battle over homework and tears. Yeah. So resistance and battle are the two words that jumped out at me in part because that's a, that's been a, a personal experience as a parent, certainly surrounding writing. But it seems like that is kind of ubiquitous among families today. Are you seeing that not just among parents of neurodivergent kids, but kind of across the board? I would say that writing has been the Waterloo subject for decades. I mean, I might even say a century. And I really believe it's because of the way it's taught. Writing is taught like it is a set of masterable skills that if they were taught in this linear sequential way, everyone would arrive on the other side of that territory successful in writing. But we don't teach speech that way. Imagine having a baby. This was me with my year-old son, and he's sitting in a high chair one day, and I'm at the kitchen sink washing dishes, and all of a sudden I hear him say the word, Nana. And I know that he means banana. Now, given that I was a freelance writer and someone who cared a lot about writing, what did I do? Did I turn around and say to my one-year-old, oh, honey, Nana is a part of a word. And the word is banana and it's a noun. It goes in a sentence like this. I would like a banana. And because it's a request, I need you to use the oral format called etiquette. So please say, I would like a banana, please. You know, would we say that to a one-year-old? No. What we typically do is what I did, which is, oh my gosh, my one-year-old's a genius. He said Nana. And then we would feed him six bananas, write it in the baby book, make an international call to your mother, yell for the husband to come down the stairs, right? We treat this milestone as expression, not as failure to speak. We treat it as the first evidence that this child will be a fluent speaker, and within three months, he's saying things like, me want Nana, and we don't correct his grammar. We get him a banana. And maybe over the next six months, we might playfully say, do you mean I want a banana? And then he might imitate you exactly with those words, I want a banana. And we don't say to ourselves, oh no, he used my exact words. I better not speak to him ever again, or I won't know if those words are really his. No, we encourage this playfulness, this modeling, this even highlighting and featuring an errant word. I know he called watermelons water lemons, and we still call them that, and he's 35 years old, as a joke. So there was no doubt that this child would be a fluent speaker if we gave the appropriate support, enthusiasm, and offered those models. But for some reason with writing, we do it completely backwards. We're like, okay, now that you know how to read, 
here's a pencil, and we need you to write the thoughts in your head without spelling errors and accurate punctuation before we will value the content of what you're trying to communicate. And in Brave Writer, we flip the script. We take the professional writing instruction approach, the way that I teach adults to write, which is, hey, do you have something to say? Let's do our best to just get it out there. And then once we've got all these words out on the page or the screen, we can treat it like Play-Doh and reshape it into the thing you meant for it to be. But we don't worry about things like punctuation, spelling, or grammar until we've gotten the self-expression. Because who cares about all that if we don't care about the meaning of the content? So it sounds like from a pretty early age, we're almost fostering a dislike of writing because it's not associated with expression. It's associated with rules and a certain template or one way this needs to look. And I could see how for all kids really, but especially differently wired kids who often like to put their own spin on things or really approach learning in their own unique way that could really present a lot of challenges. Part of what we want to communicate to every child, whether they're neurodivergent or not, is that they are already authors simply by being a human. The first evidence that they're an author is their parent writes down their first word in a baby book. And the moment you've written down something someone else said, and it can be read back by other people, you are now an author. So where we begin in the writing life is letting the child have the pleasurable experience of being read. And that starts with jotting down their words for them. So for kids who have ADD or autism or struggle to read and write, like with dyslexia or dysgraphia, giving them the awareness that their ability to be an author is not contingent on mastery of the mechanics of writing is such a liberating moment. I had two kids out of five that were neurodivergent. One had ADHD, which was undiagnosed for most of his life until he was 25, but he was still that kid. And the other one had dysgraphia. And both of them I supported by writing their words for them when they were in that sort of burst of self-expression in the early years. And as they got older, of course, we were working on the mechanics, but we worked on the mechanics independently of that self-expression. In other words, I like to say we use someone else's writing to teach a child the mechanics of writing. And we use their writing voice to help them experience being an author. And so initially, a child is copying literature. We call that copy work in Brave Writer. We can practice with things like dictation, where I read a passage and the child handwrites it while they're listening. And that very much mimics what it's like to write the thoughts in your head, but they don't have to create the thoughts. They're literally transcribing existing syntax. Meanwhile, when they go to write their own thoughts, we give them permission to be as clumsy and playful as they are when they're learning to speak. So we call that free writing. That is a term I got from Peter Elbow, who was professor emeritus at Amherst University in Massachusetts. And he was really wrote the book on free writing in the 90s and early 2000s. And free writing is the permission for unbridled self-expression in written form without undue attention to grammar, spelling, or punctuation in that initial burst. And in fact, if you get stuck and you are free writing, you can write things like, 
I'm stuck. This is stupid. I can't believe my mother is making me do this. Because what we're trying to do is hook up the mind life with a hand. So as we pay attention to the words on the ticker tape in the mind, the hand is learning how to keep pace. And for a lot of kids, that's quite liberating. We can start with just one or two minutes of free writing and build up over time. You said so many fascinating things in in that response. I'm taking all of these notes, even just that idea of having the technical, the mechanics piece happen independent of the expression piece. I never thought of separating those two. And it makes so much sense of why you would want to do that. I love that. And also, as you were talking about this socks, you know, as someone who goes in and out of that practice of morning pages, I have a hard time getting back into morning pages, even though I know they're worth the practice. But I could fill up a whole page of that. I have nothing to say. This is really boring. I can't believe I have two more pages. To write. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And in fact, part of the reason that we feel that way is because there is this sort of what I call the ghost of public school past sitting on our shoulder, watching us write. And so part of the practice of free writing or morning pages or whatever is to help us learn how to flick her off our shoulders. We are not writing for performance. We are writing to get to know ourselves, to discover what we think. I often will be in the shower out for a run and I'm thinking about what I want to write or what I want to say. When I go to the page or the screen, it is gone. <laughs> All those thoughts that I thought were so coherent are not the same as what ends up on the screen or the page. And that is because the activity of thinking coordinated with a hand is different than just thinking. And so it takes time to train those two to work together. And the mechanics of writing can inhibit self-expression. I'll give you an example. You might have a child like I did, my youngest of five, who really loved difficult vocabulary words because she was the youngest of five kids. She had two parents and four kids older than her using vocabulary she couldn't spell yet, but that she found amazing. Her favorite word when she was about seven was cornucopia. She couldn't spell that word. If I asked her to write a sentence, she is going to worry about spelling that word and getting it wrong if my standard is accuracy. And so what kids do is they dumb down their content to match their mechanical skills. And then we read it and we're like, this is flat-footed, this is dull, this is boring, use a better word. But your child has already thought, if I try to write cornucopia, I'm going to spell it wrong. And so I better pick a different word like many. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like that's what they do. But if we prioritize self-expression and we give them the freedom to take that risk, to write the word inaccurately, and to even later explain to us what that word is, we can say, wow, I love that you use the word cornucopia or apocalypse. That's an amazing term in this space. Want some support in spelling it accurately? Let me show you how. Which is so different than, well, you spelled it wrong. I'm going to put a red line through it or circle it with a big red circle or give you minus two on your page because you misspelled two really ambitious but wonderful words. This is the difference. That makes so much sense. And it also brought up multiple questions for me. And we'll get to that right after this quick break. 
This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body, and so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. One of the things you said I thought was so interesting, you said that the activity of thinking with a hand is a very different experience. And that made me think of other ways of writing. I don't know if it was a podcast I listened to. I heard you talking about this. Something that I used to do was be the typist for my child. And so a lot of me being a transcriber and there's so much voice to text Is that a different process still from writing with your hand? And I'm just would love to know your thoughts on the different support systems or assistive technology and how that influences things. Yeah. So I am a huge fan of this notion of what I call jot it down, jotting down your child's words for them. That can start as early as age two or three, and it can continue until the child is feeling pretty fluent in reading and handwriting. 
at that point, you do want to make the transition where the child starts to practice owning that feeling of thinking in their minds and using their hands. Now, for kids who struggle with dysgraphia or dyslexia, if you are using support systems to help bridge that gap while they're practicing, just know it will take them a little longer. But we still want their hand engaged. And there is some research that shows that using handwriting versus typing is formative in some ways for how the brain wires itself. I tend to be a little less rigid about that than some reading specialists. So I'll just say that up front because I am so invested in self-expression. I mean, there are kids who are paralyzed. There are kids who will never be able to use their hands. There are children who are blind, who are using completely different technologies for writing. Writing to me fundamentally starts with self-expression. And then the vehicle for that self-expression, whether it's your hand or it's voice to text, is secondary. If we can train a child to have the independence to use their own hands, that's incredibly valuable. And we want that as an outcome, but it might not be for all people. A friend of my husband's has his PhD and he struggled with dyslexia his whole life. He got his PhD in the 1980s, so long before we had voice to text or computer technology. And for his dissertation, he used a dictaphone recorded it all with his voice, and hired a secretarial service to type it for him. Why did he do that? He had made it all the way through grad school to the end, and he said this, he could give better attention to his thoughts when he didn't have to think about spelling and punctuation. And this is a man who today works as a professor. I think it's important for us to remember that. My own father who has no disadvantages in terms of language processing. He is a lawyer. For 50 years of his career, he typed not a single deposition, letter, or brief. He either wrote on a legal pad or he used his trusty dictaphone, and he only learned to type 10 years ago. I think we forget this. I think we are stuck on this idea, almost like it's noble to use your hand. I think it's powerful to use your hand, but it is not noble. <laughs> Those would be my distinctions. Yeah, I love that. You've been talking a lot about expression, and that makes me think of another question and something, again, I've experienced and I hear from a lot of parents who have kids who struggle with writing. I do think writing is particularly tricky for a lot of neurodivergent kids, that there is this sense that I have nothing to say. I think this is stupid. I don't want to write something I don't want to write. I don't know if it's a task initiation, executive function challenge, but that idea of starting with nothing, and then it could be a processing speed challenge. I'm not sure where it comes from, but this really big mental barrier that as soon as you're asked to express something, it's just a blank screen. What do you do with students like that? How do you break through that barrier? Oh my gosh, this is like maybe my favorite question you asked me. So first of all, I call that the etch-a-sketch brain. And it happens to adults all the time. You go in for an interview for a job where you think you're prepared and the person asks you a question and your brain just goes blank. It's etch-a-sketch. Everything that was there is gone. That's performance anxiety. It doesn't really have anything to do with writing. And so for kids who already feel 
that they aren't as good as other kids at things. And usually our neurodivergent kids are aware. They're not ignorant of the fact of their particular uniqueness, their challenges. It's extra double pressure. So I have this practice I like to call catch them in the act of thinking. And here's what it looks like. Instead of asking them to tell you a story or to tell you about brown bears or to tell you about the state they live in or to start writing, go about your life. And the next time that child is in the white heat of communication, that's when you jot down what they're saying. So let's say you're making dinner, you're busy stir frying. All of a sudden, your child runs in from outside. Mom, mom, did you see Rocky? He was chasing the squirrel. You're like, Rocky was chasing the squirrel? Yeah, he was chasing him in the backyard. You grab a sheet of paper, and I'm just modeling this for you. You grab the back of a supermarket receipt, an envelope, a sheet of paper, and a pen, and without saying a word, you start writing down their exact words. Now, your child very likely is going to say, Mom, what are you doing? And that's where you say, keep going. This is so good. I don't want to forget it. You don't say, oh, I'm going to write down your words because this will work as a writing assignment. You just let them know you can't keep up. You want to hear every word. Now, there are some kids when you say that, they sort of square their little shoulders and they immediately say, well, in that case, <laughs> and they go, you know, for 20 minutes. And so you write down as much as you can, as close to their accurate language as possible. For the child who says, stop writing, this is weird, stop, pay full attention, turn off the stove, give eye contact, listen. And when they walk away, jot down as much as you remember. Now, here's the key step that follows this. Later that night at dinner, when everybody's sitting at the table, if that's how your family does things, pull that sheet of paper out and say, you know what? Isaiah was telling me all about Rocky chasing the squirrel in the backyard. It was so good. I was afraid I was going to forget it. So I wrote it down. I just wanted to read it to you and read it to the family at dinner and talk more about the dog and the squirrel. Don't say, oh, what good writing. Say, and then what happened? What do you think would have happened if he had caught the squirrel? And start collecting their spontaneous speech and put it in writing for them. Drop those little gems in the library basket and read them when you read picture books. You might say, oh, look at this. Look what Isaiah wrote. Remember, we read this last week. I want to read it again. And start letting them get in touch with how much you actually value the thoughts they take the risk to express. So many kids I've heard, because we've advocated this practice for almost 25 years now, I've heard from these parents and these kids are like in shock that their parents think they have things of value to say. Because what happens when it's oral is it disappears forever. So no one values it really. But we all know when it's in print, it must matter. And that activity of recording it and rereading it starts to confirm that to the child. It's before they know how to spell. It's before they read fluently and beyond. It even works with 16-year-olds, by the way. Like even with a reluctant 16-year-old, what I always say is, wait until you're in an argument and just start writing down all their points. Wait, what else, what's the other reason you want to play video games for six hours? Keep going. Oh, oh, and what else? And then read that back at dinner and have the conversation. Start putting their thoughts in writing and they'll know you value their thoughts. That is just something I've never heard of before. It makes so much sense. And I could see how it really just changes their whole idea about what writing is. 
It's just a huge mindset change. You talked about performance anxiety, and that makes total sense. And I'm wondering, is performance anxiety and perfectionism the same thing? And before you answer that, we're going to take a quick break. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids, because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy The Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of The Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. So right before we went to break, I was asking if perfectionism is the same thing as performance anxiety. Is there a distinction or what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I'm no psychologist, so there's probably like clinical definitions for those ideas. But I would say this perfectionism, well, this is what I say. (laughs) You're you're welcome to argue with it. I think perfectionism is passed down in the family. I think most children who are perfectionists have parents who are a little bit too perfectionistic themselves. And the best cure for that is to blatantly stop. The recommendation I make to lots of moms is the only way your child knows that you mean it when you say, really, I don't mind if you misspell. I don't mind if you forget punctuation. It's okay if you just make mistakes is to leave the lunch dishes out for three hours after you ate while you go and play with Legos. It isn't the words you say, it's the life you lead. You have to show that you don't hold yourself to a perfectionist standard if you want your child to believe you aren't holding them to one. And I'll give you a little self-report on this. My kids' father and I both are composition instructors and freelance writers. So I taught my kids to write using all these techniques, and they mostly worked. But my oldest son really was reluctant with free writing, and I couldn't figure out why. And one day I asked him about it. I said, what's going on with you? You're free. You can write anything you want. We're not going to criticize you. He says, I do believe you, but you and dad are both writers, and I think secretly 
you would like me to be a good writer. Such an honest comment. And I thanked him for it. And I said, you know what? You're right. Thank you for even helping me see the hidden agenda I have. I said, let's do this. Let's do some free writing where I don't read it. We're just going to free write and you can throw it away or hide it from me or stick it in a folder and I will never look at it so that you truly know what it feels like to free write. So these are the kinds of things that I've experienced over the years. And we do invite private writing. It's so powerful for kids. If you're worried about your child who's a writer, sit down at the table with your child and set a timer for five minutes and both of you write. You should have to take the same writing risk as your child. And then don't read it aloud and don't read theirs. And turn this into a time where there's candles and cookies and writing and nobody reads anyone's writing. Eventually they settle down because they start to believe you. That's great. You mentioned the word reluctance and it made me think of an episode of your Brave Writer podcast, which is just excellent, by the way. Listeners, I really encourage you to check it out. There's so many topics that Julie covers, not just writing, critical thinking, a lot on homeschooling. Just it's a great show. But you did an episode on resistance and you said something that really stayed with me. You said that our kids' resistance is really just their loyalty to themselves. It really struck me. And I'm wondering if you could expand on that concept. Yeah, for sure. A lot of times we treat resistance like it is defiance of authority. And so then a parent doubles down on this notion that the child needs to obey or cooperate. You know, my generation called for obedience. The millennials are a little bit more manipulative than that. They call it cooperation, but it's the same thing. It's the adult has the agenda and the child has to do the agenda of the adult. The resistance is not about you ever. It's about what makes the child feel good. So when the child says, I don't want to write, they're not thinking to themselves, how can I show my parent I'm defying their authority? They're thinking, how can I avoid doing a painful thing? So if we reframe resistance as a child trying to protect that small, fragile self that is starting to emerge, we can actually lend it more support. Oh, writing is painful. You know what? I'm on your team. What can we do to make this experience less painful for you? I'm happy to try anything. That kind of support is so different. I remember I had this dysgraphic child who really struggled. He was left-handed. He found writing really difficult. And at one point I said to him, okay, why don't we just stop writing? Let's just stop. No more handwriting practice. You know, you're reading fluently. I'm going to jot things down. You're welcome to use the computer if you want to type, but let's just stop. And I said, every six months, I'm going to check in with you and see if you're ready to resume. And so the first six months, we didn't do, he didn't do any writing, but I was clever. We drew maps of islands. We created things that he could color. You know, he didn't stop using a pencil, but it wasn't about writing words. And one day we were reading this book on bird watching because he loved watching birds. And it was an adult book. And the author said, his name is Pete Dunn. He said, if you're keeping a bird watching book, notebook, it only counts if the bird that you've cited, you put in your own hand in this bird watching book. And Liam looked at me and he's like, I guess I'm going to have to write. <laughs> and the next thing you know, we're going like to the zoo 
which really isn't supposed to count in your bird book. And he's writing down toucan, you know, <laughs> he's like seagull. It was adorable. And I'll never forget how he found a way for himself. Later, he had to fill out some form for lacrosse with the team, like two years later. And he said, mom, I'm ready for some therapy because I want to be able to fill out this form and really be able to do it. All during that time, I was jotting things down. He was typing. We were reading. I think sometimes we're in this big urgency to overcome resistance instead of providing the supportive environment that helps them overcome it themselves. I love that story so much. And it's so in alignment with what we talk about at Tilt. And we talk a lot about respecting our kids' unique timelines and how much more confidence they can have when they learn something on their own terms and that sense of agency. And also, I love that you're like, every six months you checked in, like that is not, we got to figure this out the next weekend, because this has to happen. Or, you know, I love that reminder too to just slow down and create the space and the environment so that a child can come to it on their own terms, which is going to feel so much better. I want you to share how listeners can learn more about the support you offer through Brave Writers, but could you maybe just give us one or two pieces of advice for parents who are out there who've got kids, whatever age, who have just a tremendous amount of resistance around writing, are convinced nothing's going to work for them. What would you say to those parents of where they could start? Yeah, that's so good. There was a quote a friend of mine shared with me years ago, and it's now been attributed to me, but I'll just full disclosure, I did not create it, but I have affirmed it. And it is this, there are no educational emergencies. There are none. Your child is where your child is. And we work with the child as a human being, not a grade, not an age, not a neurotypical or neuroatypical deficiency. We work with the child in front of us. And in Brave Writer, that is where we always start. This son that I just mentioned with dysgraphia, he did four years of junior high, not three. He was homeschooled. And when it was time for high school, he didn't feel ready. And I'm like, all right, another year. He finished high school. He took another year off. He started college at 20. It was the perfect timing for him. And during all those years, he came to the point where he wanted professional support on his dysgraphia and he got it. I think it was between the ages of 11 and 13. I think it's really important to remember that we are dealing with human beings, not collections of symptoms. And sometimes when we're reading books, we get really focused on how to fix something. I was listening to an Instagram parent guru today, and she said, whenever I look at my child, I think of what is the thing I'm working on with them so they'll grow? And I thought I would never recommend that. I would rather start with, what am I seeing that I can affirm and fan into flame? I love what you just said. That vocabulary word really struck me. Tell me more about that. Oh, you're gaming. I want to sit and watch you play. I'm going to take notes on that game you're playing. I want you to teach me how to play it. Can we write down the steps I need to take? Actually use their expertise against them so that they start to experience themselves as powerful in the world. And in Brave Writer, that is what we're about. Our core class, Brave Writer 101, enrolls the parent, not just the child, because too often we're trying to do education to our children 
And yet we have not transformed our understanding of learning to sustain that education. So we help you become the writing coach and ally that your child needs. And we help you watch us affirm the liveliness into your child. Like everything that's good about your kid, we notice. And we start modeling how that actually grows the writer. And it is magical when it happens. So Brave Writer 101 and then the written version of that class that you can do independently is called Growing Brave Writers. And those would be the two key products that I would recommend as a starting place. Both of those have been used in homeschools and parents of traditionally schooled kids. So they work for both. That's great. And listeners, I will have links in the show notes for those resources and Julie's podcast and Julie's books. I've spent time checking out all the different offerings and they're so interesting. I've listened to interviews where you've had members of your staff. You have a big staff of writing coaches who work with you. And I just really love the approach and I do feel like it is so respectful and neurodivergent friendly. So thank you for that. I'm really happy that you're out there in the world doing this work. It's so important. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed our conversations. Wonderful to meet you and your audience. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. To go deeper into this episode, visit the extensive show notes page. For every episode, there's a dedicated page on my website with links to all the resources mentioned, a full transcript, and a podcast player with key takeaways marked so you can easily go back and re-listen to the sections you're most interested in. Just go to tiltparenting.com slash podcast and select this episode. The Tilt Parenting Podcast is hosted by me, Debbie Reber, author of the book Differently Wired and the founder of Tilt Parenting. This episode was edited by Andrea Curtis Amasquita and show notes were put together by myself, Andrea and Lindsay McFadden. If you get a lot out of this podcast and want to help cover the cost of its production, please consider joining my Patreon campaign. On Patreon, you can sign up to make a small monthly contribution, as little as $2 a month, and it's super easy to sign up. Just go to patreon.com slash parenting to learn more, or click on the Patreon link on any show notes page. To follow Tilt Parenting on social media, go to at Tilt Parenting on Instagram and Twitter and on Facebook. Lastly, please help this podcast stay visible and easily found by the listeners who need it by subscribing and leaving a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much. And that's all for this week. Stay safe, stay well, and take good care. And for more information about this podcast or any of the resources that Tilt offers, visit TiltParenting.com. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not gonna tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. 
So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.